ábrelos. Sí, como no. ¿Te puedes? Ábrelos. Can you open them up? <laughs> Got me. Yeah. They should be open. Yeah. Well, I'm going to say cheerful good morning to all. I hope you've had a good week. We took a uh, short, short jog into Kansas City this week. And uh, Don, have you been to Kansas City before? Yeah, you got to go for the barbecue. Yeah, how many, how many of you have a favorite Kansas City barbecue spot? Do you have a favorite? What's your favorite? Um, what you want? Jack Stack? Jack Stack, that's good. Anybody else? Favorite? Got any Gates fans? When you walk into Gates, they, I mean, no kidding. Hey, they, they look at you, they're like, when you walk in the door, they're like, may I help you please? And if you don't know what you want, they kind of intimidate you. You got to be ready to be like, hey, barbecue beef on bun, make it lean as possible, please. Extra sauce on the side. You got to get it down. You got to get that down. We went to a new place this uh, this week called Burnt In- Burnt Ends Restaurant. That's I mean, it's just called Burnt Ends. Really, yeah, they did Burnt Ends right. They did it did it pretty doggone good. So we enjoyed that. We're going to be talking about life in the spirit today, chapter eight. We'll pull back into that. Um, so let's, let's pray and let's dive in. Lord, as we uh, join together this morning, we come into your word uh, here through Romans. Lord, you're speaking to a church that um, we try to get a sense of who, who the people were, what the, what the problems were, what the church was up against. And Lord, what does it mean for us today? And so as we come into this next chapter, Lord, uh, some of the challenges associated with it kind of get get into what it means to live to live our lives according to your spirit and uh, i i think we can read those words easily enough but help us get a sense of what they they mean and not only a sense of what they mean but lord what about me how how does is this something that really reflects the way i'm living or it doesn't reflect the way i'm living how do I relate to this word? God, be present in it, we pray. In Jesus' name, let's say it together, guys. Amen. Um, chapter 8, we started last week. I want to come back into it. Um, and I'll just kind of remind you contextually that what Paul is doing, he's talking to the church. So I always think that the book of Romans, what makes it right and essential for the church today is uh, he's, he's having to challenge this church that grew up with certain assumptions, and uh, he's trying to get those assumptions out of the church members so that they can, in fact, go out and be effective missionaries in the culture that they're a part of. And for, for, for the church in Rome, the problem is that the folks have grown up, um, I guess, in a sense, you would say they've grown up believing that that as as Jews, we're superior to uh, people outside of of our faith, right? And I, I look at that in our context today. I look at that in our world today. And there's there's a a book I'm reading right now called um, The Myth of Equality. And it's written by a pastor. I don't agree with everything in it, but it's got some interesting, some interesting history in it. And he's trying to talk a little bit about the nature of racism, right? And um, I think it's a, it's a topic that you really, you really want to try to get informed on, learn a little bit about. 
And so he's contending that the idea of racism is a fairly new social construct. I don't know that I agree with that. And here's why. Uh, I think that we're born with it. I think we're born with it. We're born with this sense of superiority to those who who are apart from us. And we carry it around inside of us until God puts it to death. We have it. It doesn't matter what color we are. It doesn't matter what socioeconomic position we hold. We have it. And uh, so it, is race a social construct? Well, you, you could argue, argue sociologically that there's some degree of truth to that. But if you get, if you get into theology, and a lot, of the, a lot of the books that are being recommended uh, today to read aren't bad to read. They're part of a, a group of books called uh, The Critical Race Theory. Uh, but they're all what I call horizontal in nature. There's no verticalness to it. There's no God in it. And when you take God out of anything, you lose sense of really who are we as creatures and beings. So theologically, when you drive down, you, you realize, hey, guess what? There's a part in, of me that says we're, we are superior to thee, right? And that's, that's what's going on in Rome is we're Jews. We're called. We're the, the race that God is working through. And what they've lost sight of is, well, no, (laughs) when you go back and you read your own prophets, what does God say? You were once nobody, nothing. And then I called you out of nothingness to be my people. I've made you my people. It has nothing to do with you or your superiority. It has to do with me just calling you and making you who I'm asking you to be. So what's happened then, I I cannot be a really very good evangelist uh, if I believe that I'm, I'm superior to you, and I'm going to pull back away from you, and you stay over there, and we'll stay over here, and uh, we'll have kind of a segregated world. Uh, that's not going to work. So Paul has this job. How do I help people see who everyone is in Jesus Christ is, who I am? And uh, he needs to prepare them to be ready to go out and to, to love people that they've grown up really despising. They've grown up despising them. How do, I, how do I get to your heart so that you're able to love them? Uh, when, when he's going through all of this and he's trying to minister to the church in Rome, trust me when I say the devil's at work, right? He'll, he'll always knock you off base. And so what, what starts to happen is uh, this charge gets lodged against uh, Paul and the Christians and it's really a charge that has to do with what you're going to see these words, the law. And the charge goes something like this. We Jews respect the law of God. We try to live under it. We try to be good, right, righteous people. The Gentiles don't. They despise it. They despise the law. They live the way that they want to live. And you know what? Um, they, they are unclean, uncouth. Stay out of our Stay out of our temple people, right? And so the Jews start saying this. Paul, you and these Christians, your Christian bunch, you've kind of, you've kind of dumped the law. What we hear you talking about is grace and love and Jesus and the cross and salvation for all. Yeah, but what about the law? Are you saying that the law doesn't matter anymore? That we're not supposed to keep the law? Because as good Jews, we believe we are supposed to keep the law. So we've kind of gone through two chapters, six and seven, and, and now into the beginning of eight, where Paul is wrestling with this question. 
what, what is the law in our lives as Christians? Now, what you discover in a very rich way, Paul never dumps the law. In fact, he says the law is good, but what's it good for? Not to save us, but to show us our need for a Savior, right? That's the place of the law in our life. And if you're going to try to get salvation by doing the law, this law will condemn you. It will destroy you. And uh, what, what I find very interesting is as you get into the end of chapter 7, the beginning of chapter 8, is Paul has been able to, I, I use this word, reframe and contrast this idea of, of what the law is. And uh, he's using almost a, a, a Greek uh, or a Roman mindset. And um, he's kind of said, well, let, let's talk about it this way. If I have, if I have a, a bottle of water and I drop it, there's a law that goes to work, right? The law of nature causes this bottle to fall every time. He says, here's what, I, here's what I've learned. The law, if you try to live under it, here's what's going to happen to you. You'll die under it. You'll never achieve it. That's a law. There's not one single human being save Jesus Christ who's able to completely fulfill the law. So if you want to live under it, here's what's going to happen to you. You're going to die under the law, condemned by the law, and you will live apart from Jesus Christ for the rest of your eternity. That's what he's saying. He said, but there's another law at work. And he calls it the law of the Spirit. He says the law of the Spirit is a different law. Because here's what it does. The law of the Spirit says this, that I am going to live as one who believes that Jesus Christ fulfilled the law in my place. He did it for me. And because I believe that, through faith in that, here's this law. Every, everywhere I go, I know I'm saved. I, I am a child of God. Now, you will tell me I'm not. You will threaten me you're not. But I'm going to live according to the Spirit. And so as you get into chapter 8, he's really talking about the difference between living life under the law and living life under the Spirit of God. Just kind of look at these very beginning words. There are therefore now no condemnations for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life. For the law of the Spirit of life. This is a law. It's just a, a given. The Spirit of life has set you free in Jesus Christ from the law of sin and death. There's that contrast. If I live under the law, the Hebraic law, the Mosaic law, and I try to gain salvation through it, I'm dead for eternity. If I live according to the Spirit, then I live in Jesus Christ as the one who has fulfilled the law for me. Therefore, there's no condemnation for me. I don't run around feeling like, hey, I'm, I'm a condemned and lost sinner. I'm a poor, miserable sinner, but I'm not condemned and lost. Why? He took that condemnation for me. He spells it out in verse 3. This is just a little review. He says, for God has done, God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement might be fulfilled in us. So there's this requirement the law has on us. It was fulfilled by Jesus. And when I live in the spirit, I'm living in the spirit who gives me what? Faith. I trust that. I trust that what Jesus Christ has done is, is mine. Now, how does, how, what, what difference does it make? 
I want you to look at these next words. Who walk. He's now describing what does it mean to live in the Spirit. Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. I want you to stop for a minute and kind of play with that for, for just a minute or two in your own mind. Somebody comes up to you and says, um, Hey, I'm kind of interested. You're a Christian, right? Yep, I'm a Christian. Okay. So... Um, you guys believe that there's a spirit? Yes, we, we believe there's a, a Holy Spirit. What does it mean for you to have life in the spirit? What does that mean? I, I read this in the Bible. It says, we who are Christians, we have life in the spirit. What, is, what in the world is that? What is that? You have life in the spirit. Um, I find, I mean, just being honest, I find a lot of Christians are kind of stumped with that. Like, well, I don't know. It's, uh, we believe there's a Holy Spirit. Have you heard him lately? I hope not. Be like, okay. Um, does he, like, does he in your house? Maybe. Um, what is this thing about, like I saw, I went to a baptism, then, then the pastor got up there, like the Spirit lives in you. Do you feel like, the, like there's a Spirit inside of you? Uh-huh. We're not quite sure, really. Um, we're, we're good, and particularly as, as Lutherans, we're good with the Father and the Son, right? Good with that. Holy Spirit, we're not so sure about. Am I right? I mean, isn't this true? There's a lot of questions that I get asked and have been asked over the years. What, what does this thing mean that I'm going to live my life according to the Spirit? Well, Paul's trying, trying to say this is that as we, as we put, put our faith in Jesus Christ, uh, there's, a, there's a spirit that's causing that, that's giving us the faith that it allows us to have that, that belief that, yes, Jesus is, is my Savior. And that spirit doesn't just kind of like, okay, I saved you, now I'm going to fly off and go into some, the next person, and then I'll fly off and go into the next person. But there's a, a very real sense in which, you know, the scriptures say the spirit is going to live inside of you. That's a weird thought. I mean, it's just really a bizarre thought. Try it sometime. Just come up to someone and say, you know what? God's living inside of me. They'll be like, are you a freak? What's wrong with you? You're saying that God, no, God literally lives inside of me. Really? You think that God lives inside of you? Yes, I do believe that God lives inside of me. He's alive inside of you. Okay. What's he doing? What's this spirit doing? Well, there, we, we have a, a lot of, of a richness of, of theology that as you go through the Bible, you begin to realize that there's times where the Spirit is du- directing you away from something that will destroy you, right? There's times the Spirit is convicting you, right? Is saying to you, look, this is truth, and it's the truth about you. And you're saying, I, I don't want to hear that truth about me. But he's trying to bring that truth to light because... God wants a change to happen in your life, right? There's times when he's calling us to something. Um, I find that we're living in a world where it gets harder and harder and harder for people to, excuse me just for a minute, I'm, I've, got a, I've got a little bit. It's harder for people. Pardon me. <clears throat> I'm busy. Oh, wait, this is kind of a cool video. Could you skip me a few minutes? I want to watch this a little bit. We're, we're watching videos. We're getting emails. We're getting bing. We're, we're so consumed. I think it's getting harder and harder and harder for people even to hear the Spirit. 
So I always challenge Christians. I'm like, well, if you look at the Bible, watch how Paul lives. And you're going to hear him say things like this. I was going to go over here, but the Spirit told me to go over there. You ever had that happen in your life? I've, a lot of Christians are like, no, I've never had that happen in my life. I'm like, are you listening to the Spirit? Well, I don't even know how to listen to the Spirit. I'm like, well, first got to have some quiet, right? Secondly, I'm going to tell you, if you get this word in front of you and you actually spend a little bit of time in it, the Spirit's going to talk to you through it. I can guarantee it. And then what does he do? He, he, he convicts you. He directs you. Sometimes he protects you. This is all stuff the Spirit's doing. It's why God put the Spirit inside of us. Because he knows we need help. We're not going to make it. We won't live the lives that we're called to live apart from this Spirit working inside of us. And, and so what Paul's trying to do here in chapter 8, he's trying to show the Jewish church, now, now they've become believers in Jesus, that much better than trying to live by the law. When you try to live by the law, you're living moralistically. Do this. Okay, I'm going to try to do that. Do this. Okay, I'm going to try to do this. Do this. I'm going to try to do this. And you're always trying and trying and always failing and failing. And you, you just never get there. You live under this sense of condemnation. You know, I've shared this story before, but it's, it's Ron Brown. You know, when I'd meet Ron Brown, I'd, I regularly would see Ron Brown. We'd, be, we'd work out. And uh, there's, I can still see him like this, Kurt. It's Ron, you know. I'd be like, what's wrong with that guy? He's always like this. Now I've gotten old. I'm like, yeah, that's pretty, pretty important to do. <laughs> Ron, when I'd walk up, people would walk up to me like, hey, Ron, what's the football to me? Like, yeah, we're pretty good this year. And go on. I'd walk up to Ron and go, hey, what's the word for the day? I'd share a word of scripture with him. We'd talk for half an hour. One day he tells me, he's just like, oh, I'm trying to do this, and I'm trying to do this. I'm like, Ron, would you mind me? I said, I respect you more highly than you could ever know. I said, would you mind me telling this? You seem to me like you're in agony. He looks at me. I'm like, no, seriously, you seem like you're in agony. Every time I meet you, you're like, I got to do this. I got to do better at this. I got to do better at this. I gotta do better. I'm like, I'm not telling you that that doesn't live in me, too. It does. This sense that I failed, I'm not doing enough, I'm not there. That lives inside of all of us. But that's a sense of condemnation. You're condemned. You're not right. You're not good. You're not there yet. That's not the Spirit. The Spirit sets you free from that. The Spirit says to you, there is no condemnation for you. Don't live under condemnation. I don't do what I do so that I can somehow meet this, this goal. I do what I do because the Spirit's moved me to it. It's joyful. It's actually filled with joy. You engage in it and you go like, wow, there's life in this thing. This is what Paul's trying to do for the Jews. He's saying, listen, I'm going to talk to you about life in the Spirit. It's a great way to live. It's better than life in the law. So live in the Spirit. Get to know Him. Let Him talk to you. Listen to Him. Let him guide you. Let him direct you. And, um, and you will find that your, your life is filled with something that you're missing right now. It's filled with this sense of real life and joy. And you're going to experience what it means to live in Jesus Christ. And that's, that's really where, where Paul is trying to take them. And he's contrasting then what does it mean to try to live apart from the Spirit what does it mean to live in the Spirit? He gets pretty detailed in this. So kind of, kind of walk with me through this. Verse 5, let's go to verse 5. He says, those who live, here, here's how I can tell, are you living in the Spirit or you're not? He says, those who live, who live according to the flesh set their mind on things of the flesh. What does that mean to you? 
those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. I mean, you can just sit and watch and listen to people and you can tell what a person's mind is set towards. And you can pretty quickly say, is it, does it seem like it's something that God's calling them to? Or does it seem pretty earthly? And um, my conviction is, I read these words, and I find that I'm back in chapter 7, that I want to wake up in the morning and set my mind on things of the Spirit. But what has to happen before I can do that? Flesh has to die. How often? Every day. Because when I wake up in the morning, my mind is set on things of what? The spirit or the flesh? Flesh. They are. We're driven. Our flesh drives us. Um, pushes us. Pushes us. It never stops pushing. I need this. I want that. I'm going to do this. I'm going to achieve that. Our minds are consumed by this world, my agenda. I don't even care what God's agenda is. First thing in the morning, here's what, here's what the Bible says. You've got to put on the full armor of God. And before you put on the full armor of God, you better die to that flesh. And so there's a sense in which to begin a day, we begin what? I begin in a way that I say, okay, God, here's what I'm going to admit to you. I, my, I've got my agenda. I don't think that it's very much in line with your agenda. Here's what I want to do. Let's switch agendas. And, and um, to live according to the Spirit, you do that. You start, you start a day. You're like, I'm, going to, I'm just going to, here's what I'm going to do. We're going to trade agendas. I don't want to do what I want to do. But I do. But I don't. Put that to death in me. Let me embrace what you would call me to do. Every single day, I hear a God saying to me things like this. Okay, are you, are you serious? I'm like, I'm serious. Okay. I want you to watch. There's going to be some people that have needs. You're, you're going to see them. I'm going to connect you with them. But watch. Okay. I want you to listen. There's some things that I'm going to say to you today. Some of them are going to be hard. Okay. Uh, I, want you to, I want you to not just listen with your ears, but I want you to hear with your heart. I want you to take what I'm saying to you seriously. Okay. I'm going to give you some direction today. Probably won't be what you had in mind, but I just want you to pay attention to the direction I'm pushing you. Okay. When I live a day that way, like one day that way, it's a completely different day than the day that I get up. And I'm a pastor, so I, I, could, I can fool myself easily. I can be like, yep, everything on my agenda is it's for the Lord. I'm like, yeah, no, not really. It's for who? It's for you. So when I live one, one single day in the Spirit, like listening, watching, being directed, being convicted, it's a completely different day than when I just get up and just go at life and try to do it my way. It's completely different. God will direct you in, in ways that you, you, have, you have no plans of going, and he will challenge you, but he will also provide for you. And uh, so if I'm living according to the flesh, uh, my mind is going to be set on the things of the flesh. I'm going to want, I'm going to go after, I'm going to cheat. If I set my mind on the spirit, guess what? The things I begin to do, they, they, really, they really look a whole heck of a lot different. People would actually say to me, look, you're not being very productive. You need to become more productive. 
I'd say, well, I, maybe I should be more productive. I mean, I listen to all these leadership gurus. They give me books. They teach me how to do all this timing stuff. And then God comes along and goes, yep, that's all really good. I want you to talk to that person. And then I talk to that person, and I find out that they have this need and this need and this need, and then I'm engaged in these things, and I didn't do anything that the leadership guru told me to do that day. You're not productive. Probably not. But you know what? I, I'm living in a kingdom where the, the king, when he talks to you, his idea of what is productive and not productive, it's way different than yours. And so why not follow that king? That, that's what I'm talking about. Go to verse 6. He says, to set your mind on the flesh is actually death. That's where it'll lead to. It'll lead you to death. It'll consume you. Um, we, we use this term in America. I am a consumer. I ask the question, what are you being consumed by? That's what I ask. What are you being consumed by? Because whatever you're consuming, it will consume you. Guaranteed. Absolutely, it'll destroy you from within. So when I set my mind on the spirit, on things of the flesh, where will it lead to? Well, it leads to death. There's no life in it. There is no life in it. But he says to set your mind on the spirit is life and peace. There's a sense in which you find yourself at peace with God. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm not being as productive as the guru said I should be. I'm not accomplishing the things I thought I wanted to accomplish. But you know what? There's this, I, God's present here. I, I sense his presence. I have that sense of, of, of peace. Verse 7, this is important. He says, for the mind that's set on the flesh is hostile toward God. I like this word hostile. Uh, this is the Greek word here, um, if you can see it. So it's two words glued together. The word sounds like this, ekthra. ekthra. The mind set on the flesh is ekthra to God. So ek is kind of that first part of that book we were looking at this morning, Exodus, right? Well, what's a hadas? A hadas is a path. Ex is out of, the pathway out of. The, so the book of Exodus is the pathway out of Egypt. Pathway out of Egypt. Ek is out of. Now, doesn't this second part sound like something you know? Fra, thrust. Can you hear it? Ek, thra. So to be hostile towards God is, it means that my flesh and my mind are always trying to do this, thrust God out. I'm pushing you out, God. I would never really want to acknowledge that. I mean, I, I wouldn't want to acknowledge that. As a Christian, I want to say, oh, no, 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 I'm not thrusting God out. Yeah, you are. No, 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 God, I'm not thrusting out. Yes, you are. You're thrusting me out. You're pushing me out. The Spirit lives inside of you. But listen to this. The Spirit, you have the power. You have the ability to guess what? Thrust them out. Push them back. I don't want to listen to this. I don't want to hear this. I'm not going to take time for this. I'm not going to listen to this. You have that power from God. And if you live that way long enough, guess what starts to happen? You start to harden. You literally actually start to harden towards God. And, and Paul is saying that, and that gets serious to the degree, right, that Jesus is, 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 is returning and there's all these people that are parts of churches and they're like, hey, there's the Lord. I'm like, and the Lord says, no, I don't know you. 
You thrust me out, you thrust me out, you thrust me out, you thrust me out, you thrust me out. And pretty soon you just become hardened and we become what? Just, just kind of blah, blah towards God. And God says, that's dangerous. And so he's, he's speaking, speaking to us. He's saying, listen, your mind, when it's set on the things of this world, it actually begins to be hostile, to thrust God out. It does not, look at these next verses, it does not submit to God's law. It doesn't submit to God's law, to God's way of life. It doesn't. I don't need, I'm not going to let you be God, I'm going to be God. Indeed, it cannot. And again, I encourage you, if you're going to underline parts of your Bible, those two words, once again, kind of come back to that uh, theology that reminds us, Romans reminds us, that I don't have the power in myself to believe in God, to do the things of God. I don't have that power. It's something that's given to me, and it's given to me through the Spirit. And so he ends up, verse 8, saying, those, in fact, who are in the flesh cannot, cannot please God. You can't please God if I'm living according to the flesh. Interesting um, uh, kind of just a little bit of a, a, a sidelight. Um, there's a, a guy in, inside of Catholicism a number of years ago who came up with this idea. Uh, maybe you've heard of this. Um, called Anonymous Christianity. And um, as a Catholic theologian, uh, we've talked about this enough, there's, there's a sense in which doing good does please God, right? There's a sense in which if I do good, this is pleasing to God and it counts towards my savings account that will eventually buy heaven, right? So this Catholic theologian got to thinking, and, and somebody asked him the question, well, what about people that aren't Christians, but they're doing good? What about them? They're doing good. And uh, I said, well, who, what do you mean, someone that's not a Christian and doing good? Well, you know, like Bill Gates. Like Bill Gates, he gives away, he gives away billions. You don't give away billions of dollars. He gives away billions of dollars for good things. He's helping people. Bill Gates is helping people. He's doing good. Doesn't that please God? I mean, doesn't that count? According to his account, that's going to help him, you know, make it to heaven. I know a lot of people that aren't Christians that do a lot of good things. Anonymous Christianity was born, this idea that, well, let's see. Yeah, this Catholic guy says, if you do enough of that good stuff, then you're right. You're going to earn enough chips to get your account right with God, and you're going to make it into heaven. So they're, they don't call it like Bill. He doesn't think of himself as a Christian. Hey, Bill, do you believe in Jesus? No. Well, you're a Christian. No, I'm not a Christian. Well, you're an anonymous Christian. That's the idea that was born. It has no, no basis in Scripture. Here's what God would say, is do all the good you want. It's, I, God will let us do good. And I mean, I celebrate that. Hey, um, you're giving dollars to help these. That's, good. that's a great thing. doesn't please God. You know why? Because what does please God is a heart that is led by Jesus Christ and lives in him. And as a heart that has faith that what Jesus Christ did, not what I do, what Jesus Christ did is what saves me, not what I do. No such thing as anonymous Christianity. 
it, it has no bearing. In fact, oppositely, you know, Paul would say here, this is not about your doing good to please God. This is about what God is doing inside of you. The Spirit is not causing you to go do some things that are going to please God. He's causing you to just live your life in a way that's in sync with the God who is inside of you. Verse 9 says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God, and I like the, the word here, it's in oikos, uh, literally has His house inside of you. If the Spirit literally has His house inside of you, He's housing inside of you. Uh, he's, he's dwelling inside of you. Um, uh, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. This does not belong to Him. Uh, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Verse 11, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Jesus... Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. I wrote down the words a long time ago in my Bible, renewable fuel. <laughs> the spirit is renewable fuel. He's constantly moving me. Yep, renewable fuel. He's given me life. And, and ultimately, think about this. The one who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. You know what he's taking, where he's taking you to? The graveyard. That's why every time I have a funeral and I'm standing out in that graveyard, I look around myself and I, I'll usually say it out loud. I'll be like, can you believe it? We're in the most happening place in all of Grand Island right here. And people are like, what? And I'm like, come resurrection day. Things are going to be hopping and things are going to be popping. And uh, people are going to be coming out of these graves. That's what he's pointing us to. When does the Spirit give life to your mortal bodies? On the day of resurrection is when you'll have life. Until then, guess what? Our bodies are actually dead to sin and um, uh, are a vessel for God to work through and to use. Uh, so, Take that section, and I encourage you to go back through it in, in a personal way, um, kind of in some quiet time. Just find yourself asking some of those questions. Where, where am I relative to? Do I, do, I, do I ever hear the Spirit? Do I, do, I, do, I, do I have a tendency to thrust Him out? Where is He leading me? Do I pay attention to Him during a day? Do I, is my agenda His or is it mine? Just great questions to ask yourself uh, as you're going through this. Because that's what Paul is doing for the church in Rome. He's saying, we, we're going to have life. We're going to live this thing according to the Spirit. And uh, we're not going to get consumed by the law and trying to fulfill the law. We live by another law. It's the law of the Spirit. The Spirit is giving us life. He then uses this terminology, heirs. We are fellow heirs with Jesus Christ. Um, so he's ending verse 11, pointing us forward to the resurrection and continues that. He says, so then brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. If you live according to the flesh, you'll die. If the spirit you'll put to death, the deeds of the body, you'll live. Um, and the spirit does this. Another part of the spirit's work is just putting to death the deeds of the body, putting to death the deeds of the body. We need the Spirit desperately to put to death the deeds of the body. Pastor, I'll never 
look at that again on my computer. I'll never, I don't want to do, I'm so ashamed. I'll never do that again. Pastor, will you pray for me? I'll pray for you. Pastor, I did it again. I don't know why I did I just did, I did it again. Will you pray for me? I'll pray for you. I'll never do it again. This is so bad. Pastor, I did it again. How many, it doesn't matter what it is, whatever it is. You say to yourself, I'll never do that, this. You can fill in your own blank. Again, you did, and you did, and you did. Part of the work of the Spirit, the reason why you come back to Him each day is He's the one that puts that to death. You can't do it. You will not succeed. And uh, what's been interesting to me over the years is all the things that we create to try to cause people to succeed apart from the Spirit, and they don't work. They just flat out don't work. And, um, you know, every person I've known who's made it through an addiction will come to me, and they said, there came this day that I had to finally say, I cannot do it. I cannot do this. And God, you're going to have to do it for me. And I always ask that person, here's my witness test. I'll be like, how often do you have to ask them? If they say anything other than every single day, (laughs) I'm worried about them. (laughs) Because that's how it is. Every single day. The, the, The enemy knows your weak spots. The spirit is able to put it to death. And so let that battle ensue inside of you. But let it be a spiritual battle. Uh, if you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. If you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You'll have life. You'll find life. Verse 14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. You didn't receive. You didn't receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. You received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. You, you have an intimacy with God that allows you to call him daddy. Just like a little child calls his father daddy. That's the intimacy that you have with God through the Spirit. In fact, verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. He is the one who's constantly reminding you, hey, look, don't, don't let the devil condemn you. You're, you're Jesus' child. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, Provided we suffer with him in order that we might also be glorified with him. Um, We're going to stop there. I want you just to take that home with you. And I read through that really fast, but it's really beautiful. It's another part of the Spirit's work in us. We are fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. If you suffer with him, in order that you may be glorified with him. I don't want to suffer. Not an option. Comes with it. Comes with following him. It's a guarantee, actually. And so we'll pick up with that next week. Lord, we uh, close out this morning just giving you thanks for being our God, for, for knowing what it means to trust and believe in you. We're just going to ask, Lord, that you be our strength in this week ahead. In Jesus' name, let's say it together. Amen. Man, guys have a blessed rest of the week.